Welcome to Hello Bump, the pointy end. This is the podcast for pregos who need something or anything to get them through those final days and hours of being knocked up before the big event. Except today, it's not all about the mums. This episode is all about the blokes, the blokes in our lives who support us and look after us and keep us sane when pregnancy brain has us going absolutely around the twist. I'm Monique Bowley and I have a husband who I routinely drive around the bend, even though I'm not even pregnant. And my co-host is model, presenter, speech pathologist and mother to a litter of four, Beck Judd. Hello, Beck. While mums and mums-to-be are incredible... Dads, by no means, have it easy, do they? Not at all. They have to ride every bump and pregnancies are very long. They're not nine months. They're actually ten months and these guys go through it all. So, yeah, look, it's uh, very interesting. You learn a lot about each other and uh, we've got some funny stories to tell. Good that you do because today joining us in the bump capsule. (laughs) Is that what this is? It's the capsule. It's Chris Judd. Big up for the dads. Very excited for... uh for being here. Thanks for having me on. Now, you're a former Aussie Rules football player for West Coast Eagles and also Carlton and the father of four. He's the impregnator. Yes. The inseminator. It's all his fault. <laughs> we could do a rap about this. <laughs> I'm sure you have you leave, one day. You leave the rapping to me, babe. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'd like to actually go back through the pregnancy if we can. Were you the most supportive partner you could possibly have been? I was pretty good, mm. I think. Yeah. Obviously dropped it in there in the first place, which is a pretty important... <laughs> Part of the whole process, and uh, maybe I, I think maybe when I was playing football, perhaps could have been better because you're generally pretty selfish at that phase in your life. But I, even then, I think I was okay. Mm. Got better as time went on. What could you have done better? Do you think? Well, I mean, I didn't eat soft cheese or drink alcohol for 14 years, so I, yeah. I maybe could have been more sympathetic to those challenges, and uh, maybe didn't need to remind Beck about my sacrifices while she was making hers for for all of 10 months. <laughs> Even though she did eat soft cheese and uh, she's actually more attracted to the food she wasn't meant to eat during pregnancy than uh, she was normally. That's like me in life though. You tell me I can't do something and I want it. I don't like rules. (laughs) Did you um, read up on dad books? Did you tap your dad friends on the shoulder and say, what do I do here? We didn't really have any dad friends. No, it was early doors. Um, Some of the West Coast guys had young kids at the time, but it was all pretty new like it is for everyone. I started a couple of dad's books but didn't quite see them through. But I don't know how useful they are anyway, in my I, professional opinion. And I feel like with the first two babies, the pregnancies were, were very easy, stock standard. Yeah. I was very lucky, very low risk, run of the mill. You didn't really have to really give me that much Pretty young. Support. Yeah. Weren't working full time I wasn't while working pregnant. crazy like I am now. No. Um, but I think with the twins... Yeah, twins was, was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer. I remember Chris just saying, but like by the end, I was pretty much crying every day for like three weeks. And he was saying, just being around me, like he just didn't know what to do to make the, the tears, the pain, the uncomfortableness uh, go away. Did you genuinely sit down and have the talk about what kind of parents you were going to be? Were you like, I'll be bad cop, I'll be good cop? I think we had this stupid notion that the kid would have to fit in with our lifestyle. That was one of the funnier conversations pre-birth where we'll still go to cafes when we want or go out to dinner and kids are going to have to learn to fit in with us, which is one of those stupid things that people say who are yet to have kids. As soon as Oscar came out, we knew we were going to be those crazy routine parents who we used to kind of go, look at those routine parents, we're not going to be them. Mm. That was us. So we've heard from the story about Oscar where Beck's in bed at 2am, thinks she needs to do a number two, it's not, it's the baby. Were you 
asleep in the same room. Like, what all the, was that moment like where she said, I think I'm in labour? It was all just a bit of a blur, to be honest. You always just sort of remember Beck having a shower and just sort of grabbing the bag and driving to hospital and still in that phase of sort of half asleep, mm. half awake. And Beck was a hive of energy, you know, filled with adrenaline. And I was bouncing off the walls, blow dry my hair, putting on my makeup. Yeah, Woo, like, we're going to have a baby. It's like going to a rave party. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I found it hard to get myself up to that level at this stage. I was still sort of uh, focused on the fact I was a bit weary. Um, and then we drove to hospital and, and, and got into it. Now, in the birthing suite, were you at the Paris end, as they say? I was, but I can sort of vis- um, vividly remember all the kids coming out. So I was up with Beck, but I guess at a different height angle. You kind of popped your head around, like you swung your neck around and would have a look. And I was like, don't look, but you just couldn't help yourself. I think you were naturally drawn when the when our obstetrician would say you're about to be parents or you're about to be parents again. Yeah. Um, I think you naturally, your eyes were drawn to where your child was about to be born. Yeah. And I'm not queasy at all um, with blood or those sorts of things. So I can still remember the heads coming out and uh, what does just the feeling of your, your breath sort of being literally taken away i remember you saying with both of both of them actually there was kind of that gust and you just said wow like that like wow sort of like an involuntary yeah almost like you're trying to help them with their first breath it felt like yeah but it's true they come out not breathing and then you're like breathing it's like when you're watching sport and you sort of move to try and help the athlete you know imagining that you're them it's almost that feeling of no i think that's just you (laughs) anyway That, that, they're my main memories, that and, being, that and being a bit weary. So just back to, I want to talk about what you see in the birthing suite. Yeah. Some things can't be unseen. Do you feel like your career in sport and seeing gruesome injuries prepared you for the realities of a birth? I think so, yeah. And having a uh, fair bit of exposure to operations and yeah. needles and things like that. So, like, I mean, it, births are really rough. You know, whether it's a Caesar or a natural birth, the doctor's not sort of delicately pulling a baby out of... Because mm, Oscar was quite... He was... Um, we needed to get Oscar out very quickly because he had the cord wrapped around his neck and his heart rate kept dropping. So Len had to put the vacuum on his head and, and really kind of yank him out, so to speak, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, he needed to come out quickly. And then caesareans are quite quite full. And I remember lying on the bed and feeling my body getting tugged in all directions. I was moving around on the bed. I remember with Oscar, his his heart rate started dropping and they're like, right, you know, we've got to get him out. And I remember talking to Len Kleeman, the obstetrician afterwards saying, wow, that was that was pretty hairy, wasn't it? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, you know, the heart rate started dropping. He was being strangled by his own umbilical cord. He's like, no, trust me, that was that was nothing. So I think in your own in your own mind, because it is there's so much riding on it, obviously. You don't often get people talking with that level of intensity in your day-to-day lives because it is literally a life and death matter that things in your own mind probably get exaggerated a little bit just how intense they are but my memories of that initial birth with Oscar was that it was touch and go you know (laughs) whereas in reality I think it was a pretty stock standard birth albeit you know his heart rate was dropping slightly yeah, I think having the the old cord wrapped around the neck is very, very, very common and that's, um, yeah, wasn't very risky at all. But to us, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so you've been by your wife's side for three births. Yes. What have you learnt? So selfishly, I was, I guess, fortunate or happy that she chose to have an epidural because, you know, as an onlooker, that makes the whole experience a lot more relaxed. Mm. Um, so seeing the pain Beck was going through, with the contractions before the epidural, it's not about me, Mon, but that's an unpleasant thing to see your partner in that much pain. Uh, she was a lot more relaxed 
once she had the epidural and... You went to sleep then? Was that <laughs> I had a little nap. Um, <laughs> he was weary. He said he was weary <laughs> during the labour. Well, a small nap, Mom, but I, I needed to be fresh. You know, this was a big time coming up. So I do remember waking up from my nap thinking I probably <laughs> shouldn't be napping too long. You know Labours what? go a long time. Let's not gloss yeah. over that. Yeah. And I'd had the epidural. Like I was just sitting there watching the Today Show, not feeling a thing while my body was working on pushing this baby out. Yeah. So why not? That, I was cool with that. What would you tell first-time dads uh, that they should do? There's a strong urge that you really want to be useful and want to get in there and help, but the reality is there's not much you can do and the best thing for you to do is let the doctor perform because that's really, along with your wife, that's the doctor's time to, to shine and they're the ones that are most qualified to actually help. And short of the old handhold or very occasionally encouraging words, I think just to stay out of the way and... And accept that it's out of your hands. A huge thing that your wife's going through, and you're unfortunately powerless to help. Really, you do really feel powerless. Well, what else? What can you do unless you're you're unless you're a doctor yourself? Yeah, I would find being coached highly annoying throughout that process. Oh, if you'd been coaching me, saying, you know, breathe, breathe, push, push, I would have been like, shut the f up. (laughs) I did talk with the idea of telling her, you know, we're 20 minutes into the fourth quarter. I need a lift from you. I need another 20 percent from you. But I just thought maybe not the right environment for that. I reckon there'd be plenty of people who'd get into that though. You could hire yourself out to you potential <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to have a nap during labour. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Jonathan Brown, he played um, he's a, a triple premiership player for the Brisbane Lions. I'm friends with his wife and just as she was about to push this baby, he said to her, come on Kyle, just bang it out. <laughs> Straight through the sticks. <laughs> and I, look, I think it depends on the personality Um for me, I didn't. I didn't want the coaching and the and you know. I just wanted quiet. Yeah. I was just in the zone with the ob. I wanted Chris there. I wanted him to hold my hand, but I didn't need him talking. I didn't want to hear him. Whereas I think there might be other mums out there who would really want that encouragement from their partner, each to their own. Mm. Some things are just hard, aren't they? Whichever mm. way you slice and dice it, it's going to be hard. And having someone in there who's not going through it, trying to give you advice, well, yeah. for you, it wouldn't have worked. No, not for me. <laughs> So tell me about the moment that Oscar's born. How did you feel about Beck at that point? Just so grateful that she was able to provide us with a, a family. And it's such a huge thing that mums go through, carrying obviously a child and then uh, pushing it out or having it cut out. And I was just so keen to be a, a father. So to have Beck do that for both of us was um, just really grateful. Yeah. you see Athletes do extraordinary things every day. Did it give you a new level of respect for the body? Yes. I don't know. Before then, I probably hadn't looked at a woman's body and just how functional and how adaptable it is. It's um, it's incredible. Just the, you know, the relaxing it produces, be able to stretch that much, um, and then what it's able to do afterwards is uh, is incredible. The recovery is amazing. Amazing. How and what I found shocking and amazing at the same time was how quickly after delivering your baby your body is trying to get you pregnant again so i think it was maybe it was six weeks after i delivered oscar i think i got my period again and ready to go that was you know i dropped an egg my body was ready to get pregnant again that's amazing you kind of think you're not ready but you actually are yeah it was like go away this is not happening (laughs) (laughs) Uh, chris did you cut the cord yes did you yes for all of them i'm not sure about the caesar with the twins. Actually, I think for all of them, yeah. What were you doing? Not paying attention? I don't know. A bit doped up world. with the Caesar. Yeah, certainly 
I'm pretty sure all four, certainly the first two, yeah. And do they give you the option or did you ask? She said, do you want to cut the court? I said, why not? Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Uneventful. <laughs> <laughs> I have Just, that compared to actually seeing your baby delivered and holding your baby for the first time. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Cutting the cord? Meh. But it's, you're cutting through someone's bits when you oh, cut the cord. Not really. It's like a fingernail, isn't it? It's got no nerves in it. No, the cord was uneventful. I was, I was surprised by the size of the placenta. Especially so, um, with the twins. It was enormous. Mm. I had a friend who drank the placenta post-purse. It's very trendy. Yeah, with, placenta with, smoothie? With vodka and, like, shots. Oh, who did that? <laughs> Don't know names. Horrend- <laughs> horrendous. Um, Tell us about the moment that you held your first child. Uh, I just remember feeling incredibly protective, which I assume would be a pretty normal emotion that most parents have, and also just that feeling of what the bloody hell are we going to do with this? That's exactly what I said, wasn't it? Yeah. WTF. Um, I remember looking at you. We just had this look of shock on our face. Yeah, and I also think that would be a very similar feeling to um, to all adults. I mean, and then it starts, doesn't it? I remember when we left the hospital trying to put in a baby seat, which hadn't been done beforehand, and just not being able to get anywhere near it and already a bit sleep-deprived. And so it goes on the first of the, first of the things you can't do the first time around. But we got there in the end so far. Mm. Yeah, four and <laughs> out. Four and out. All right, now, Beck, tell us honestly, was Chris telling the truth throughout yeah. all of that? Yeah, he was. What was he like during your labours? And did you have to set the standard for him? So don't coach me, darling. Just be there. No, I think we're pretty in tune with each other. So we just kind of knew the vibe. We had a midwife who kept yelling at Chris to go and get me some lollies. Oh, that's right. That was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was kind of doing all the bossing around in the room. I actually felt a little bit sorry for you. She, and she's like, in, she needs glucose. Go and get some lollies. And I said to Beck, do you actually want any lollies? Beck's like, nah. She, <laughs> The midwife's yelling at me, go, go and get some. So I trooped out of the hospital and went down the road and came back with these lollies that Beck didn't want. Yeah, uh, it was just weird. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, he was, he was great. I mean, what what can they do? You kind of just in, in the zone and they, they're just there to support. And like I touched on before, depending on your kind of personality, you either want the coaching or you don't. And he's pretty good at reading the play. And he was there and, you know, telling me when I was doing a great job, but not telling me too much that it was becoming annoying. Yeah, he nailed it. I think there's a natural feeling for the dads would want to get rid of that urge to try and help. So there's potential for them to sort of do more than they really can, more to ease their feelings than to actually help. So Mm -hmm. maybe just dealing with that and getting on with it's more useful. Yeah. Yeah. I could see he was stressed with Oscar when the four hours I was in labour before I got the epidural because it was just getting more and more intense and we knew that it was only going downhill from there and it was kind of like, this is going to be a very long day if I don't get this epidural. Like, what do you do? Mm. Um, So there was kind of that relief from both of us when the epidural went in. It was kind of like, okay, I'm not in pain anymore. We can relax into this and and get ready for the push. Um, So that was good. I've also just – I want to talk about once you go home and those first few days, what advice would you have for new – Brand new dads. I think the black tar is interesting, isn't it? No one tells <laughs> that you about definitely the. F- no that, one tells you about the black tar. That's definitely the dad's job. That one. What's the meconium the or meconium. Meconium. Mm. What? What the, are you talking mm. about? Their, their first Henry the Thirds. Thirds. <laughs> I mean, that is some. If there's not an industrial grade use for the black tar, I'll go. Hey, that is the <gasps> stickiest substance. Is it? Gross. Yeah. Known to man. Yeah, it's a dad job. It's underutilized. That that black tar. That first crap. It's impossible to get off. Give it to the dad. I mean, there's an element of... There's not a heap you can do that the first period as well, is it? I think always getting a water 
when your wife breastfeeds is a useful one okay. that always needs to happen and to do that before being asked. I mean, if you've got other kids, obviously it's your time to step up and control them. I mean, even those initial period, it's more about the mum. So just being there to support, helping out as much as you can. Midwife Kath said earlier that sometimes there needs to be a bouncer in the house to keep visitors away. Did you play that role at all? We were okay. We had immediate family visitors in hospital. Mm. Your mum stayed over for a while, didn't Mm. she? Immediate family are okay. I think people knew after Oscar that we really weren't in – we're not the visitor type of people. (laughs) So they kind of let us Gave us a a few weeks at least, Mm. didn't they, until we sort of had our feet on the ground. Got some champagne out. That was really right good. Times. Yeah, yeah. So when though when day four when your milk comes in and your hormones go crazy and you just start crying huge tears, even though you're kind of feeling happy and you start just hormonal. Chris would always go and get the champagne. That's champagne time. I remember him coming up the stairs one day. I was crying. My sister had just lost a close friend. She was crying. Mum was crying because. I think she just felt left out that she wasn't crying. So <laughs> and she I think started mom, going. Mum all of a sudden was like, far out, my baby's had a baby. Like it, it was a reminder of her own kind of mortality, I guess. She'd gone from being the mum to the nana. So mum was struggling with that as well. So I'm crying, my sister's crying, my mum's crying. Chris walks upstairs, took a look at us, disappeared, comes back two minutes later with a bottle of champagne. It's like, girls, I think you need this. Always remember that. That was one of your better moves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how important is humour in those first few days? Because everything can seem kind of intense. Is it important to make each other laugh still and get, get some perspective? Definitely. Um, yeah, take the humour when you can. And it's also everything's temporary, isn't it? Those, um, you know, as long as you've got a healthy kid, all the little events that happen along the way are temporary and they'll pass and you might as well um, have a laugh when you can because... They're going to happen anyway. Mm. It's just not forever. It's so important. And we'd often look at each other and, you know, after a couple of sleepless nights and going far out, are we doing this whole thing again? The burp, the spew, the clean up, the shit, the change the nappy. Oh, there's another crap. You know, it's just never ends and you feel like you're stuck in this cycle. Um, but just reminding each other that, you know, this is just such a short little cute time and before we know it, they'll be grown up. So always reflecting and not taking it for granted, I guess. First 30 years are the hardest. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be happy again after that, I reckon. <laughs> Chris, I reckon you've helped so many dads to be out there. So thank you so much for telling us all your secrets and all your advice. Thank you. Now, I have some dad-related questions that are a little bit more serious. So let's go to our expert. Dr. Joseph Scroy is an obstetrician, a gynecologist and an IVF specialist based in Melbourne. Most of his patients are women, but Dr. Joe has had a whole lot of experience dealing with rogue dads. Some who want to be involved in actually pulling out the baby themselves, while others get as far away from the birthing suite as is humanly possible. Welcome back to Hello Bump the Pointy End, Dr. Joe. Thank you. So men can feel a little bit useless during birth. What are the best ways for them? Like what what are gold standard dads do in the birthing suite? So, I mean, the gold standard dad is uh, there to support their partner through the, the birthing process. And I mean, any partner and any support person's got to be there um, to support the, the person going through labour, the woman going through labour. You know, historically, blokes were sort of, uh, you know, cast aside in terms of the whole birthing process. And in fact, many of our grandmothers may never have seen their husbands anywhere near the birthing suite. And in fact, the first that he or she would have been notified would have either been someone running down the street or alternatively a telephone call. Finding them but at it, the pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whilst they're waiting at the pub or the footy. Uh, but 
but you know nowadays obviously guys and also partners um you know come along to to uh, the birth and ESO and wonderful and an enriching experience and i mean one of the things i think being a, a male obstetrician is and also have having you know been involved in my my wife's labor is actually understanding that you know for blokes it's a pretty special time as well yeah absolutely they're becoming fathers so did you deliver your babies no. No. So you were actually, you're... A, actually a funny story for my for my when my daughter was born, we went and saw our obstetrician, and at this time I actually hadn't. Been, I was doing um, general medical training. I was actually going to become a cardiologist, and this was before I decided to do obstetrics and gynaecology. And um, and my wife went into labour. The story with my wife was that she was. I was probably always destined to be an obstetrician because she, when she was uh, just going into labour, she was on the bed at home, and I said to her, well, "What's happening?" She said, oh, "I'm." having these contractions every 10 minutes and I said oh great and I said well, don't you think she'd get off the bed and as soon as she as soon as I said that to her and as soon as she got off the bed her waters broke all of a sudden mm. but when we went into the hospital um, uh, the obstetrician said to me oh uh, you know how many centimeters do you think your wife is and I said oh, six centimeters and he did an examination and he said you cheated didn't you and I said, "No, I didn't examine her. Trust me." So no, I, I wasn't involved in the in the. Well, I didn't help deliver my own baby. No. You, you were being the gold standard supportive father, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, of father course, to yes. be. Yeah. So you know, I think some of the things. I think it's important actually as a couple to to sort of discuss what are the things that. Um, you may want during that labouring process. So some women will want some encouragement. They want a coach. They want uh, a a masseur. They want someone who's going to tend to them in terms of, you know, getting a face wash or getting fluid when they need it. And other women just don't, they don't want their partner saying anything because they just want to be in a zone. And often that discussion, it's very difficult for blokes to to, to know what to do. And I mean, Mm. If we think historically, women, you know, by the time a woman went into labour, she may have seen or witnessed around 30 or 40 births before as women in her village had had babies. But of course, now the first time a woman goes through labour, if she hasn't had the opportunity to be a support person in the past, is the actual time she has her own baby. And think about that for a bloke who, you know, pretty much doesn't even know what a period is really. <laughs> and here he is in, uh, in, the, uh, in the setting of, a, of seeing not only his wife in labour and in pain, so someone you love being in pain, and then seeing all that blood as well. So often if, that, you know, often if the partners are looking a little bit white, I'll tell them to sit down because I don't really want to be looking after you know, two patients <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a baby. And has that happened before? What's the most extreme reaction to a birth you've had from a dad? Is it fainting or worse? Yeah, I mean, definitely fainting and running out of the room. <laughs> just not being able to deal with it. Um, <laughs> Is that but, you often? Know, then, then, there's, then there's the absolute joy of seeing, you know, grown men cry. Like, you mm. know, guys that are as tall as, you know, the, the biggest front rower and as big and wide and they and they just, you know, they just burst into tears at the sight of their baby being born. It's, mm. it's an incredible experience. Have you had any dads want to just get in there and pull it out and help their wife no, or partner? Oh, no, look, I, I, I tend to say to the fathers to stay at the Paris end of, of, of proceedings. <laughs> so I say to them, look, stay up the other end. It's interesting because some of them really want to catch a glimpse of the baby's head coming out and... Um, 
And often the wife will say, no, 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 please, no, don't look down there, don't look down there. And, you know, they're probably in, in a way trying to protect their partner because, you know, mm-hmm. there's maybe certain ways that you want to see those areas and maybe not with the baby in between them. Yeah, it ain't pretty. <laughs> Joe, do you sometimes have to prep them that it's going to be quite gruesome, give men a bit of a pep talk and warn them about how graphic it's going to be? Is it? Does it come as a surprise to them? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm reasonably fortunate in that I've, I will have developed a bit of a rapport with the, the, the woman and also her partner during the nine months that they're pregnant. So we often will have an opportunity during that whole time to have a bit of a chat about what labour's all about. And I have these little analogies I use for the couple so that they are familiar with what's going on in terms of the labour. So, you know, I often say to them that the cervix is a little bit like a, a skivvy. And if you imagine putting a skivvy on a baby, if you were to put a skivvy or a turtleneck on a baby, the baby will scream and yell. So what the cervix needs to do is much like a skivvy does. It needs to gather up and stretch open. And so then the baby can, can you when if you put that over, a, a gathered up and a stretched open skivvy on a baby's head, they'll be a lot happier. So I try to use these analogies that sort of allow the blokes and also the, the woman to understand the, the process of, of labour and childbirth. Um, and, and, you know, they're quite fortunate as well because in, in my practice and certainly in other practices, um, there's often midwives that will talk to the to the husbands and also to the wives about, um, about labour and childbirth. And, of course, most, if not all uh, first-time parents anyway will have birthing classes where they've got an opportunity to, you know, just see what it's all about and, and witness a video as well. That's such a great image. It's like putting a skivvy on a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you talked about how duds can be supportive in the room, Joe. What about in the days and the weeks after the birth? What advice would you have? I think there's, this is actually a really important issue because not only just in those first few days um, well first in the first day of the baby being born but in the days subsequent there can be you know changes not only in the emotional well-being of the woman but also in the in the bonding between the woman and her partner so you know we do know that it's very common for women to have some postpartum blues and in some cases some women can get some frank depression with uh, with uh, with childbirth after childbirth as well so it's important that partners be quite um, aware and attuned to what What's going on in terms of their their partner's um, mental health, and that's both for the woman and her partner, and for the partner and her woman, uh, and her and her um, and the woman who's given birth. And also, the other thing for guys is they've often been the centre of attention in terms of love and affection uh, throughout the nine months of pregnancy and before that, of course. Um, and of course, now there's this little baby that sort of preoccupies and takes time away from that just one-on-one bond with one another. Now there's three. So it can be quite of a challenge for blokes, uh, particularly because of that, that sort of disassociation from just being husband and wife, but now being, you know, um, a threesome. So in terms of that, then it's, it's really important that that guys sort of be attuned to how they're feeling and be supportive of their partner. I mean, things like, you know, making sure the housework's done and preparing meals. These are the sort of things that are going to make life a little bit easier at home. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Scroy. If you want, you can follow him on Instagram at Dr. Joseph Scroy. And Scroy is spelt S-G-R-O-I. It's babies for days. You'll love it. It's great to hear from some dads in the studio, but we also asked you out there, how did the dads of your life handle the big day? He was like awesome and he would 
volunteer to be people's birth partners if he could, which sounds really weird, but he found the whole thing amazingly empowering. You know, there's that, that, you know, joy just sort of balanced with concern that everything's gone well and all that. And then he was bawling his eyes out and I wasn't crying at all. Husband is a really, really big kind of guy, like a, not big, but just a six foot kind of manly looking man. And he just went out like cold on the floor, fainted at the sight of his baby daughter coming out of my tummy. I got really focused, so he got no feedback from me either about what I wanted or needed. I think he just took signals or, you know, if he was rubbing my back and I didn't want it, I'd kind of push his hand away, but he'd just have to work out then what to do next. But he was good at listening to what the midwives were telling me. I think it's times when you you, you, you think, oh, I'll do this, this will be the right thing, and then, you know, she finished up getting short with me once or twice and just saying, oh, no, don't do that. Or something. <laughs> okay, I don't know what to do either. Next time on Hello Bump, The Pointy End, we're going to zoom in on the first three days with your baby. What to do when you're sick of being in hospital, who to call if you're worried something's wrong, and how to bond best with your bub. Thanks to my co-host, Beck Judd, and also to the brilliant Dr. Joseph Scroy for telling us all about how dads can lend a hand to make sure your bump comes out healthy and happy. You can buy any book mentioned on all of our podcasts from iBooks at apple.co forward slash mamma where you can also subscribe to all of our other podcasts in one place. I'm Monique Foley, and if this episode of Hello Bump, The Pointy End, helped you or taught you something or made you laugh, please help us out and send a five-star iTunes review our way. This show was produced by Rachel Wagner for the Mamma Mia Podcast Network. The director of podcasts is Rachel Corbett, and the head of content is Holly Wainwright. Good luck out there.